I remember when I was in junior high and McDonald's had come out with the supersize. Do you remember that? The shamrock shake. Yeah, the McRib. Um, but I remember when I used to go to McDonald's, this is all we got. Okay? This was the size soda we got going to McDonald's when I was in kindergarten. 12 ounces. And then all of a sudden in junior high, something happened. The supersize. You went from 12 ounces to 32 ounces of soda. And when you are a growing boy, and you are bigger than everyone else in your class, and you could eat like five Happy Meals, this was what drinking was all about. This was a sip. This was called life. This was called a thirst quencher. And then all of a sudden, you have Burger King and Wendy's and all these, different or all these different food companies start keeping up with the competition and they go, you know what? I guess bigger is better. And then all of a sudden, 7-Eleven has now come up with the double Big Gulp. Now, this is such a problem in our country that the mayor of New York banned this. And you know, there's a lot of like bad nutritional lessons we can learn from this. But there's one thing that's amazing about it is that we started seeing life completely different than we could have ever imagined. Do you remember that? And that's what I want to talk to you about today. I want to talk to you about gospel fluency. This is what we're talking about all year long. Everything we discuss is about do we truly know the gospel in such a way that we are applying it to our life with ease? And not just that we're applying it in the sense of, of all the good moralistic lessons and, and being nicer people and, and being just wiser in what we do, but are we living this life through the power of Jesus Christ that it flows from us in every area, every aspect, and in every relationship we have. You see, oftentimes when we think about being a Christian, it's almost like learning a second language that will only use it, we're going to put this right here, that will only use it when we have to. Right? The Gospel we oftentimes use only when we have to. That's what it means to know a second language. It means that, that when we step into different environments with, with people that, are, that we are, have something small in common with, we're willing to speak in that other language. But that's not what it means to be a Christian. You see, being a Christian is so much more than that that I want to talk to you about this morning that I feel like we're, we're on the cusp of. We're on that, that tipping point. Any of you ever read that book, Tipping Point? That we're, that we're right there, that, that as a church, that as individuals, that we are on this tipping point to truly allow gospel fluency to live in our lives. That being a Christian is not, it's not fun. It's not easy. But it's actually who we are. But there's a passage in the Old Testament in Numbers that I want us to stop and look at. Because I feel oftentimes that, that when we look at this passage and I tell you the story of the passage, that so much of your faith is a reflection of what happened in Numbers chapter 13. 
So turn with me in your Bibles to Numbers chapter 13, verses 26 through 33. Numbers chapter 13, 26 through 33. And if someone has a church Bible and they find the page, just kind of scream it out to me. 90? Okay, 90. It's in the very beginning of the Bible. Page 90. Now listen to this story. Listen to this story because I feel that most of us at some point in our life have put ourselves in the same situation. It says here, they came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. They were reported they, there they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amicalites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilims there, the descendants of Anak, come from Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we looked the same to them. God had given Moses a territory to go conquer for His people. And God told Moses that you're going to go down there and you are going to take the land. And Moses had a sidekick, like I have Jeremy and Omar, named Aaron. We have a new sidekick now with Jeremy, but it was always Omar and I. And Sue back there, look at she's like, give me like, and Sue back there. Hi, Sue. Sorry. I'm sorry. So Moses communicated to Aaron because Moses hated public speaking. Not because he was bad at it, but because he was so fearful at times. And they communicated to the people that we're going to send a group of soldiers, of warriors, to go down and search the land, to spy the land, to scope it out. And so Caleb was one of the men, one of the main leaders. And when they went out there, everyone came back with a different report. To Caleb, when he saw the land, he saw the fruit. He saw the rivers. He saw the grass. And he was able to see things that no one else was able to envision. It's kind of like Walt Disney. Do you know Disney World was built on swamplands? Do you know that? And when Walt Disney went down to that area in Orlando, he did not see swamps, but he saw an amusement park like that of a castle. 
And so when Caleb went down to the land, he saw this, this place that he knew that he was seeing exactly what God had told Moses. But then there was a majority of people there that said, it's not what I saw. Yeah, there was good fruits. Yeah, the grass was greener from where we came from. Yeah, the water definitely was definitely more pure and clean. It seemed like they had more rivers. More vast lands. But, we're so much smaller than our enemies. And all of a sudden, what they started to do was they started comparing themselves to those they were going to go against. They started to see the people that when Caleb saw their, their enemies, the people that God said, go and conquer, he saw them and he almost, his chest kind of blew up. Like he was ready for a fight. Where the rest kind of stepped away and said, you know what, it's a great land. But it's impossible for us to conquer. And so there was a group of these people that started going around to the people, to the Israelites and started talking bad about, about the difference between what Caleb had seen and what they had seen. And, and when they were saying that, that they looked like giants, they were calling themselves grasshoppers. I mean, think about a grasshopper. They are defenseless insects. You squash them. You flick them and they fly. There are, there's no power in a grasshopper compared to a human being. And so when they were thinking about how could they tell Moses the, the difference between the two different groups of people, they said, we look like insects to our enemies. Imagine that. Talk about being on the same team of these individuals. Talk about feeling empowered. Here on one side, you have Caleb who's building them up and making them out that we can conquer anything. And then on the other side, you have these other guys saying, you know what, I'm not fighting. I'm not going. And when I think about how most people view their faith, I don't think about Caleb. I think about the majority. I think about how people really see themselves in view of how they want to see themselves. I think about how most of us as adults that, that there's times in our lives that we rise to the occasion only when we know we have a sure victory. We apply for jobs that we know we will get. We will put ourselves in circles that we always know will be a little bit better than that individual. Everything we do is we set ourselves up for success through the lens of ourselves. And so whenever trials come and pressures come and circumstances happen, we become like those Israelites and we run. We all of a sudden we cave in and, and all of the hope and all the security that we've heard about when things are going well, everything that we want to cling to on Jesus Christ, we hold on to until life becomes a little bit too much. And if you're over the age of 30, you can relate to this. That in your darkest moments when you feel the weakest, you kind of go into a flashback that you're 15 years old again. And that you're powerless. And so being a Christian is only good when things are going well. Being a Christian is always fun, only fun 
when you can handle it yourself. That stepping out on faith is, is only good and doable when it's a little step of faith. But not a major step of faith. And I really felt like this, this Friday that God was telling me like, that's not who you are. Not meaning Rob, but meaning us. That's not who you are in Christ Jesus. Because what we do is we put ourselves into a good moral standing before God rather than trusting the relationship that is only found in Christ Jesus. And do you know what happens? Faith becomes useless. And it's hard because I know some people are waiting till Sunday morning till the music starts and the word's being preached. Or showing up a missional community where you're able to be, be able to really kind of come together and, and huddle with one another. But if you have missional community on Wednesday, it seems like Monday's okay and Tuesday gets harder. And thank goodness for MC. But by Saturday you're spent and you need that another little little another little high. But I gotta ask you the question this. At what point do you begin to see life through a larger lens? At what point do you actually begin to see life not as just looking at yourself through the lens of this? But God's showing you life like that of a double big gulp. And I feel like this is one of those missing links that I talk about a lot. That no matter how excited we get, because if, you're, if you are a new Christian, your faith is so sweet. It's like candy. Every time you step out of faith, it's fun and exciting and, and it's new and it's fresh. But if you don't learn to live in that constant new freshness of faith, it becomes stale and weak and useless. And so here's what I want to hit on this morning. I want to help you enlarge the territory that God has given to you. I want to speak words of life and enlargement to you because of what Scripture says. Because everyone in Scripture has felt what you have or are feeling today. I think about, uh, I think about so many different prayers in Scripture. But to me, this one passage sums it all up. That Caleb had the ability to see something that no one else was willing to see. And why was it? You see, here's where it begins. It begins with enlarging your vision for who Jesus really is. And it means taking Scripture from a whole new lens and stop reading it as a book, but looking at Scripture through the eyes and the ears of why God gave us the Word of God. Listen to this passage. This is what Jesus had said to the Pharisees and Sadducees. He says, You search the Scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. But the Scriptures point to Me. But when Jesus was walking the earth, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, 
had known every single Scripture by heart. It's just like now that if you went to Israel, you would even see a group of Jewish leaders who walk backwards. Because when they read the Scriptures, what they see is that they had to learn to walk by faith. And it's amazing that faith is not seeing what we see, but it's trusting what's not there, right? And so in this, but the problem is these men read Scriptures that's never come to life because this is what the Pharisees and Sadducees were doing. They were reading it missing that Jesus was right in front of him. And so I think about this. How many times have you read about the life that Jesus wants you to have, but yet you continue to live the life that's most comfortable for you? How many times have you read about Jesus bringing emotional healing to a woman, but not trusting that Jesus will bring emotional healing healing and cleansing to you? How many times do you read in Scriptures about about someone who has struggled mentally and relationally in Scriptures, Mark chapter 5, but you can't apply it to your life and so you love the concept and the idea that, that Jesus is my emotional and mental healer. But yet there's this missing link. But what about physically? Truly truly believing that if you are in a situation that Jesus has the power to bring healing and cleansing to you. You see, oftentimes when we read Scripture, we read it like the Pharisees and Sadducees. It's like we scroll through it to get the answer to our job and our lives and all this stuff and all Jesus is saying, stop. Look at the promise of who I am. I really believe that we need to begin to read Scripture through a new lens. A lens that if He said it, I can believe it because it will happen. Amen? Seriously. I mean, think about that. If God gave visions to Joseph and Joseph sat in captivity for over 20 years, what held him from trusting that when he went from being the one that he knew that God had called and ordained to being sold into slavery to then being put in a place of power then being thrown in jail and then being brought into a place of power and this roller coaster of life, but all along, God gave him a picture of what His will was for him. And not once did Joseph throw in the towel. At what point do we become men and women that we stay the course of God's faithfulness? I actually believe that that we say, well, you know, everything works out perfectly and God knows this and God knows that. And I believe that 100%. But here's what I believe more. God has a plan ordained for your life. And you will experience it if you hold the course. Not if you're perfect, but if you choose to stay the course that He has for you. 
And that's a missing link because what we do is once life gets tough, we start flicking through the Bible and almost putting ourselves into this safe moral place again rather than continually walking by faith. Your lens of Scripture, my lens of Scripture, has to be enlarged. What about this? We talked about last, last week, enlarging our faith. Jesus had said, if you had the faith of a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move. Do you honestly believe that? Do you honestly believe that Jesus can do anything in His name? You see, what happens is, is that when we become a Christian and we choose to be a follower of Christ, we we have that mustard seed of faith. And that's why it seems like for some reason when we become a new believer that God answers all of our prayers. Doesn't it? I mean, when you first become a Christian or you recommit your life, it's like all of a sudden over the next year, it's like, wow, everything's clicking. I, I feel like even in my trials, even in my difficulties, even in the things that are going on that are really tough, that God always shows But here's the dilemma. You see, Jesus did not want His disciples to walk around with a seed. He wanted them to plant that seed. And to exercise their faith. And to put it in the ground. To purposely take that seed and put it in the ground and begin to walk in faith. Because a mustard seed is nothing until it grows into a mustard tree. And the way that we enlarge our faith is that when we take that faith, when we're a new believer, or coming back to the faith, and we take it and we say, you know what, God? My first step of faith is giving it back to you. And you plant it. And you start journeying through life, and you start learning to step out in faith, and you start learning to walk in faith, and you start doing things that you thought you would never, ever do. And all of a sudden, one day, something sprouts out. You see Jesus. And it's not that it sprouts out again at first, but it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. But what a mustard seed does, it not only becomes a mustard tree that goes up, it goes up and out. And it goes underneath the ground. And the roots are strong. You see, our faith is to become stronger. So what does this look like? It sounds great in theory. As you know that we as a family have had a, a rough three weeks. Really rough. We have been in and out of doctors over the last three weeks and we're going to be heading down to another one on October 31st. And one of the things that I love about missional communities is that it's about life on life. It's not just about some, hey, let's do a Bible study. Let's pray together. It's a Tuesday night organized meeting. It's about doing life together. Friday night, I was at someone in our missional community's house. We got the same passion, motorcycles. He's got like eight of them. I wanted to go see him and hanging out with them. But one night this week, someone from our MC had a burden for our family. And they came over and said, this is totally not me. This is not my style. I actually don't want to be here. But I feel like I need to talk to someone. And they sat down with one of my children and they really gave them a word that they needed to hear. God told me to tell you this. 
And they stepped out in faith and they came to my house and they prayed over my son. You see, that's faith. And exactly what my child needed to hear was exactly what that person had said. Think about that at work. Think about that with your neighbor. We all know that we have these spiritual nudges in our hearts that say, hey, go talk to that person. Hey, help that individual out. Hey, something's wrong with them. Just be present. You see, that's faith because all Jesus taught His disciples to do was show up. And oftentimes we want God to be in these, these moments that it's like, oh, no! God is saying, I have put Myself in you. Now step out and live like I have. You see, your faith is not supposed to stay a seed. It's supposed to grow into a tree. And until you plant that seed of faith, your faith will never grow. And I will tell you that Christianity will become a religion to you. I will tell you that Christianity will become boring and you will not make this a priority, meaning Jesus. I look at a a couple of our new believers in our church, people that had no idea about Jesus, and they're here every single week. They go to MC, they're making themselves present in their communities and just being them. They're here because faith was a seed that now has become a tree. And they just keep watering that tree and stepping out on that tree and climbing that tree and having fun. Like people think I'm crazy that literally there have been times where I have just had a sense that, you know what? God heals them or not, I have a nudge. I need to call my friend. I need to talk to the stranger. I need to say something to the Starbucks person. Why? Because what happens if, if in that moment, my nudge is correct? someone's life will be changed. And I don't mean just by supernaturally with a healing. I mean, what about that time when that person needed a word of encouragement? I mean, what about that time that that something was going on and all you said is, are you okay? What's wrong? I love the story of Tom Shanley. He has no idea I'm going to say this, but that's okay. It's like, you jerk. It's okay. Tom has been struggling for four years with unemployment. And at times, Tom would come to me and he'd be yelling at me and he was such a knucklehead. Yep, I'm saying in the public. I remember it all. But one thing I love about Tom is that his faith never wandered. He was still showing up in people's lives. He didn't have finances and he was helping other people out. He was going to the bar and sitting next to that individual and giving them Jesus. All along, he's like, where are you? But he trusted God because he planted the seed and he's been climbing the tree ever since. And you, God is so proud of you. I've been thinking that lately about you. That you've been living it. And yes, you are a knucklehead. But it was a knucklehead God loved so much. Your faith. What about your love? 
Has your love enlarged? Listen to this passage. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. You see, God did not put His love in us that we would have forgiveness of sins, but we would be the people of reconciliation. Love your neighbor. Not love just the people that you like. Your neighbor are those people that annoy you. They're those people with the leaf blowers that blow their leaves onto your lawn. There's those people that take their snow and when they're snow shoveling, they throw it into your driveway. And Jesus is saying, if you truly have received forgiveness and love, then love your neighbor, not your friend, not the people that are easy, but, but our love is enlarged when we love those who seem unlovable. Remember Rich Gatto had said after we talked about forgiveness that God had prompted him to go talk to the person that, that has frustrated him and offended him. He's not here so we, can't, we don't know how it went. But I know after that sermon on forgiveness that several of you came to me and said, I need to grant them forgiveness. I need to forgive my offender. That's what love does. That's how love is enlarged. When we not only receive forgiveness, we're like, oh, Jesus loves me so much. Woo, I'm singing so. No, that when his love is so compelling that we recognize our sin and our wrongdoing, that when someone has offended us, we play Jesus in their life. That's how your love is enlarged. Not buying your kid that next new iPad. Great! You're a parent. Every parent does that. But is your love so enlarged that you're willing to love your neighbor just for who they are? You see, I'm kind of doing a recap of what we've been talking about the last few weeks. But what about this one? Enlarging our experience. And I don't mean this emotional feeling. I don't mean this moment during church where, where Rob says something and it clicks. But I mean in your everyday life. That you wake up, you wake up and you say, Jesus, where are you taking me today? Let me give you another MC story. This happened again. Someone who has been on the fringe of the plant has come and gone, come and gone, come and gone, and I got permission for this story. I didn't get permission for Tom's, but I got permission for this one. And he just was very honest during our MC huddle time. He's like, I just need to come back to faith. I, I, I just, I need to be back where I'm supposed to be. And we've just re-engaged in faith and been growing and talking and all these things. And, and this week, his friend just found out that his wife has cancer. And for so long, it's, it would have been one of those things that he would admit like, yeah, well, we're here for you, man. We got your back. But this time was different. He took that seed of faith and he planted it and he started ministering to them. Sharing how he and us will be praying for his wife. Started sharing about Christ. You see, that's enlarging our experiences. It's not about a better worship service. It's not about a better sermon. 
It's about learning to read the Scriptures. Follow with me. Learning to read the Scriptures in such a way that your faith is planted and begins to grow and the power of Jesus is being manifested in your life that all you can do is begin to walk and see where God wants you to make Himself known. Paul said this, and I love, I'm using this passage for a reason. It says, Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned the secret. I have learned the secret how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. I'll come back to Tom Shanley. I love that about Tom. Tom was struggling financially. Tom was struggling relationally. Tom was struggling with his career. He was struggling in a market that was just tanking. And Tom held the course of the life that God had in front of him. I'm going to share one more thing. I'm sorry. In all of this, Tom was faithful. And even though he and his daughter had a relationship, God brought amazing healing between the two of them that neither one of them would have ever dreamed. Is that true? Amen? Who would have ever thought that Tom and Heather, I grew up with Heather, so I know Heather, would have this life together that they've been experiencing for almost the past year. Because in every situation, Tom showed up. He showed up for his job interviews. He showed up helping people out relationally, emotionally. He even continued to give to the plant and to others faithfully with the little he had. And you know Tom's deepest cry in my office was? Heather. At the end of every single meeting we had, it always came back to Heather. I don't care what I don't have, I just want her back. Notice how I haven't given any stories of me? It's not about me. That's why I didn't want you to sing happy birthday. But thank you very much, I appreciate it. Thanks. I truly believe. What's up, Tommy? Yep. Amen. You just gave away my ending. Yep. Yep. It's all, yep. It's all about him. Do we truly trust? That when Jesus stepped into the lives of all the people, that He spoke a true promise. That He spoke a true eternity. And that He saw everyone was looking at themselves as a small little soda. He said, this is what I see of you. 
Because everything we do is, has nothing actually to do about us. It has to do about Him. You see, greater is He who is in us than he that is in the world. That's Scripture. For I know the plans that I have for you to prosper you, not to harm you. That's the Word. You see, do we really believe that God put us on, on this earth to glorify Him? And when we align our lives and become His children, that His promises will become true. There are some of you that are experiencing the promises of God because you're really doing this. And there's some of you that aren't. And I just feel like God's saying today, stop. Stop looking at the grass hoppas. And start seeing the plains that I have for you. You see, that's the beauty of what Tom just said. It's never about Tom. It's about Jesus. Because everything we do is we point it back to Him. Everything we do, we point it back to Him. Everything that happens in our life, good, bad, or indifferent, just like Paul said, it's all about Him. I have learned the secret. You want to know the secret? It's all about Him. Gospel fluency is not like learning Spanish as a second language. Gospel fluency is knowing the gospel in such a way that it takes root in your life. And all you do is walk out in faith and mirror the work and transformation that Jesus is doing in you. I'm 42 today. What a great birthday message. You know, when I look out here, I see what God wanted to begin. Sue and I stepped out in faith, seeing nothing to become something. And we convinced Omar and the Shares and the Thomases, thanks for being here today, the Iwanowskis, the Wolfs. And we started giving them a picture of a swamp and said, Do you see the castle? Not our castles, but God's kingdom. And if you want your faith to be this small, this little comfortable place, you're by far in the wrong church. Because I see something, we see something that is so much more than we could ever dream and imagine. God wants to enlarge your lens. And it begins today with that seed. Did anyone need this this morning? Hands? One, two? Alright, it worked? Cool. It worked. Well, I said, did anyone need this this morning? You need it? Josh needed it. <laughs> Josh needed it. Listen to me. Today, let the communion bread be your seed of faith. No matter where you are at on the spiritual journey, if you want to enlarge your faith in Jesus Christ, today, let the bread be your seed of faith. And who cares what happened this week? Who cares what happened last week? I love that. I love that God can take a broken human being 
and do something awesome. Can I just give you one selfish story? So I almost didn't graduate college. You all know that I just got my doctorate. I had learning disabilities, never could learn, struggled my whole life. Words kind of looked like this to me, and so I just started playing sports. I got a message two weeks ago that my alma mater wanted me to start coming and teaching there. And so in January, I'm going to start teaching a class with the purpose of creating a concentration for Naya College. I had no idea what a simple step of following Jesus meant. How cool is that? What does God want to do with your seed? Never wanted to teach college. Never thought of it. But now, what a dream. Let the bread be your seed. Amen? Amen.